Welcome to the Board Shorts podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Cook, and I'm here with another easy to digest dose of valuable board and company director related information designed to help you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom. My guest today is Amanda Cole. Amanda, in a nutshell, is a phenomenal woman, and I often have an embarrassing fangirl moment when I see her in person. (laughs) Having started her board career over 20 years ago, Amanda has a lot of experience that she has generously shared in this conversation. Like many aspiring board members, Amanda kicked off her board career as a volunteer board member of her professional association, one which actually may surprise you. And she moved quickly into the national chair role. From there, she's forged a successful career as an advisory board member, currently chairing the boards of United Group, LAT27 and Sunfresh Linen. Previously, she has chaired the advisory boards of companies such as Shadforth, CV Services Group and Adreno, and has been an advisory board member on many others. This conversation with Amanda is full of valuable information and ideas that you can take into your board career, whether you're an existing board member, aspiring board member, or someone looking to expand or grow your board portfolio. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did having it. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today on the Board Shorts podcast. It is fantastic to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. It's great to be here. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into it. You've got an extensive long-term board career, but I want to take you right back to the beginning. What was your first board role and how did you get it? So my first board role was as a professional. So uh, historically, I was a commercial interior designer, and that's my um, my expertise sits in there from my start of my professional career. So um, I always felt as a professional, it was important to be a contributor to your uh, professional organisation. So the Design Institute of Australia was is that still that organisation for designers, and uh, I became the president of the Queensland um, division of of uh, the Design Institute of Australia, and ended up as a result of being on the a state um, board, or if you like, a um, committee. Then the, each of the state presidents had to become part of the national board, and uh, so I became a formal director of the Design Institute of Australia, and I ended up being nominated as vice president um, nationally. Uh, so. Um, I was on that board for a number of years, just serving in, as the Queensland president, but then obviously took a, a broader role with the organisation. So as a volunteer not-for-profit board, um, we had quite a large representation on that board because it was obviously representing every state. Right. Um, and obviously volunteers and passionate um, designers and advocates for the industry wanting to try and represent their um, constituents and members um, so as a membership organisation, it was really important. Um, and um, we had some uh, cost, you know, earnings that we had to do. We did a number of event management things that we ha- ran as a board, um, but most of it was governance 
for the organisation. Yeah, cool. So a lot of professions have these kind of state committees or state boards and, and a national one, like you were saying. How did you get that first role with the Queensland board? Well, I think that this is something that everybody should do. And I really do think that it's part of uh, our role as professionals is to give back to the organisation that represents us because it is a tireless job and there aren't enough volunteers, which is effectively what we're talking about, to be able to um, guide and provide support for those kinds of roles. And so every organisation is screaming out for people to actually come on and just contribute. And it's uh, what I got out of that process was an amazing network and so um, not only at the time I had my own company and so I received referrals, I had profile, um, we did some projects that were really cool that engaged with state government and with the other organisations connected to the design industry um, and those things built uh, CV credibility really um, and I think it's a really easy way for most professionals to add value to themselves and to their organisations by putting their hand up and getting involved because it does give you some sort of um, reason to stand out in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned CV credibility and there's, I feel like there's people who sit in two camps with this. One is that you shouldn't take a board role just to fill your CV or to fill your CV. And then the other camp, which sees it as more of a payment in lieu of actual money for the work that you do as a volunteer board member. How does that sit with you looking at that kind of argument? I wouldn't probably invest in either of them, actually. I don't really think that anyone should be on a board just because they want something for their CV. Um, mm -hmm. I think it actually goes the other way around, that you, you give and so you receive. Um, in this case, it was an opportunity to be able to make connections, get experiences, and actually the opportunity of sitting in a boardroom and seeing the process of how governance actually works for an organisation. That is a privilege. It's And, it, and it's... Um, but you have to put in the work and that requires Absolutely. you to, to go to breakfast and to recruit new members and to represent your industry and to speak on things and to have a thought leader position, I guess, for that profession. Um, but the return back to you is that you get to experience some of those other things and then that gives you some of that foundational expertise to be able to say to other companies, well, actually, now I have board experience and you really do. It's real. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So when you um, joined this first board, did you nominate yourself or did someone else nominate you? How did that actually work? So um, I think at the time, as I said, everyone's looking for volunteers. So uh, working your way up through committees or just being um, saying, oh, I'm happy to help out. So in your professional organisation, starting with committees is a great start. So volunteering yeah. to do things, it, it is a volunteer role. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're volunteering for a disability services organisation or whatever kind of not-for-profit. It just happened to be my professional body, which is a good mm -hmm. networking opportunity to meet other people in the industry as well as um, uh, locally, but also across um, the country when it was looking at that broader role. So it was really just who's prepared to put your hand up. So, yeah. um, and obviously then you get nominated and supported by your peers because mm -hmm. they know you and that you've done some work to be able to generate that, you know, that, that benefit back to yourself, I guess. Yeah. And what was your decision process that you went through when deciding to first get involved with the state level and then move to the national level? 
Uh, I've just felt like it was my duty or responsibility as a professional to actually make a contribution. It was mm-hmm. it was nothing more than that. Is just well, this is a uh, the only way this profession is going to be seen to have more credibility is if people are actively involved in promoting it and supporting it and and um, advocating for members to have a greater standing in in the community and. Um, it's taken a long time for designers to be recognised. Um, and in the last 10 years, when we've seen the rise of design thinking, that's actually created a new style of language for people to sort of respect design and what it stood for. But that's taken mm-hmm. a really long time mm-hmm. uh, for people to understand it has value. Yeah. But you very quickly segued from design, the design world, into other boards did you want to give us just a quick sort of highlight package of your board roles that you have had, have now, and what your pathway was to those boardrooms? So uh, because of my involvement as um, I, uh, having run my business, I joined a peer mentoring organisation and through that process met my husband who was the owner and and founder of that organisation. We married and I started helping him run that business. And we sold to international peer mentoring organisation Tech in 2006. And as a result of that, I became a chairman with Tech. So the first female chair and the the youngest um, chairman for Tech, um, and um, which was quite an extraordinary experience really in retrospect. At the time, it felt just natural because I had a group of people as part of my Uh, membership organisation that I wanted to stay connected with and so when I was given the opportunity to be a chair I thought well that sounds normal because I know these people and they're fabulous and I'd like to spend more time with them. Mm -hmm. So that opportunity really gave me an intro into a way of working with people that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, Often people say to me how did you stop being a designer and start doing this new career? Um, It's really unfortunately by choice of husband um, uh, unfortunately for me uh, mm-hmm. at the time. Um, but uh, I, I mean, obviously the, the, the opportunity though sits with building relationships ultimately. And so being able to um, have the role with tech and then being able to learn the, the processes involved with chairing, um, understanding, um, facilitation process, group dynamics, theory, some of those things are core skills that you need to take into a boardroom. And so when... Um, through that network and through people that I met, they were looking for people who would either do strategy um, consulting and facilitation work or and then often that led to a broader conversation, which is, well, how is strategy happening in your organisation? Where is that conversation um, and what level is it happening at? And so because um, that experience led to me to be saying, well, actually, if you're having these problems with your organisational strategy, it means your board's not functioning properly. And so, but then we started unpacking, well, what is the board doing? Is it providing the right advisory support? Who are the people sitting on those the, those boards? And a lot of the time, because my work has always been with emerging medium-sized companies. So they, in most cases, they either haven't had a board or their board's been them and their accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where you start seeing some of these gaps when it comes to making good strategic choices, which is one of the functions of a board is to help um, guide, particularly with an advisory board, is to to guide and nurture the business in terms of its growth plans. So um, if you don't have the right people at that level, um, often there's a failure of in oversight and insight. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the door got open. So um, I ended up 
um, sitting on the board of Merlot Coffee. Um, they were very keen on driving their strategic planning. So um, I started working with them doing strategy as well as a board role at that point. Um, and then from then on, um, I had a number of other board roles that really spun out of relationships that I'd built either as with businesses as because uh, I've done some turnaround work and so coming in as an investor or um, doing a sweat equity deal to get some investment in those businesses and then um, starting to work with them or create a board and then chair that mm -hmm. board moving forward um, and then uh, just introductions. So the all of my board roles have come from referrals. Um, I have never answered a job ad. I have... Um, um, it's because somebody I've done some work with someone and they've trusted me enough mm. to suggest or to either suggest them to somebody else and uh, and also because of the strategy work that I've done that that said actually they believe that what I when I say to them they need an advisory board that they say yes okay that's the right thing for me to do um, and I think that's all just part of the process it's connections but doing good work yeah amazing amazing um, I'm just curious as to how a professional, say, accountant, lawyer, something like that, who's an aspiring board member, and I hate pigeonholing, so I'm going to recap, also getting marketing, HR, other skill sets into the boardroom. How can th those professionals adopt um, your sort of philosophy or approach into their career, say if they don't have the flexibility with time, as it sounds like you had um, as your, could I call it a career, as your career kind of evolved and shifted and moved and you, you could say you're working for yourself um, or with your husband, how can someone sort of adopt that mindset if they're working full time? It's probably a shorthand way of asking the same question. <laughs> well, I think it's it's you've got to look at these things as building skills along the way, but also being able to have a good story to tell about the value that you add. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you are coming from a niche background, um, so I always thought as a designer that, um, you know, what can what value can I contribute? And actually my superpower ended up being um, my questioning capabilities. So when I was a designer, we'd do brief unpacking, we'd understand the business. And so it was very much about interrogating a problem, understanding the questions to ask, and then being able to see patterns of um, what was going on in the broader world. And so that skill set I was able to translate into strategy when you look at understanding a problem set, looking at reality in the world, um, looking at the problems that a business faces. It's the same skill. Mm. And so but then being able to talk language around that and say, well, actually, the value that I'm bringing to your organisation is I'm impartial, I'm going to ask good questions, and actually, I'm going to challenge you to think strategically. And my job is to enable the business to um, make their strategy come to life. So I'm going to provide accountability and that external insight into your business. And then people understand that. It's not actually mm -hmm. saying, oh, I've been in, in this role, therefore yeah. I'm going to be an accountant for you. No, you're not. Yeah. Um, you're actually going to use the insights and skills that make you a really good accountant to add value to a board at a higher level. Mm -hmm. So you have to think about how you might apply the things that you're good at for other people's benefit. Yeah. And sometimes that's so hard for us to see because we just live and do that every day. And, and because it's just who we are and what we do, we don't recognize it and we also don't value it. Yeah. So 
did you come to realize your superpower through um through your own self-reflection or was it more about feedback that you've received from people who you trust uh no I'm, i think um it's probably both mm-hmm. um so it's easy especially as a woman to resist getting hearing the content of when people feed but you just go oh no that's just what i do you know like yeah. that's just like you said it's just me it's not actually you don't recognize that actually that is something that's unique mm-hmm. um, and i think that it's um being able to really listen to feedback and i people have told me for such a long time oh you ask really good questions oh you, you know like some of the things that you do really challenge me and and it's easy to brush that off but actually if, if you really listen to the feedback that you're getting and then be able to say well what does make me different um and because um, most people assume when you're looking at a board that you do have an accounting or legal background most people think i'm a lawyer I don't know why. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> random. But I, yeah. I, um, I do think, though, that that's an assumption that a lot of people make. But there's that those skills that you've built through your practice, whatever they are, inevitably will add some value. But you've got to position yourself into a taking on that role. Yeah. So if people say, well, we've already got an accountant, but your skill set may not be tax law, tax mm-hmm. accounting, and, and that's, you know, people will need some of that on a board, um, but it might be um, more about that forensic avail- uh, interest or risk yeah. management, you know, like being able to take on another aspect of your role and being apply, able to apply that in a board position I think is really important yeah. um, because there will be a point where, no, we don't need another one of those. But this is where I do think there's a massive opportunity for people who are outside of legal and accounting practices yeah. to be able to say, actually, moving forward there's a huge requirement for boards to have a sustainability investment there's a huge you know in terms of insight um it security um people goodness me every board should be talking about culture and people at the moment in terms of the skill shortage and if we don't i find myself taking that role a lot of the time because most of the boards i sit on has an accountant and someone with a legal background and they're covering the numbers and the risk Mm-hmm. But I'm there going, hey, how about that bullying complaint that hasn't been dealt with? You know, like, yeah. or how about how about our workplace health and safety report? Um, you know, what what's going on with actually the people on site? How are we coping with that? Um, and because it's easy to forget sometimes that the loudest voices are financial. Mm. Yes, especially when so much, I guess, so much of the focus of, of what are your governance responsibilities and what is scrutinized by the media is always so much focused on that. It's easy to um, overemphasize those parts of the board role and forget about others or let others fall to the side. Um, but I did want to ask you, because we're talking about skill set in the boardroom, um, what do you think are the essential skills for great board members? I think the biggest challenge is being able to understand what's not being talked about mm-hmm. because it's very easy to be able to struck, you know, to contribute to an existing conversation and be able to ask a good question or to um, contribute your, your opinion to a decision that has to be made. 
Um, the hardest part, though, is keeping sort of your eye on that macro conversation of, well, what are we not talking about? What questions are we not answering or asking? Mm. Um, what are the biases of the people that are involved and which things that are sort of the don't talk about the war stuff? And I think mm. as a board member, you have to be prepared to um, see that or at least be able to unearth those things and call them out because mm. um, and uh, all the boards that I've been involved in are advisory boards for medium enterprises. So inevitably they've got the family or they've got the owners and the shareholders are the board. And as an advisory board, we can only make recommendations. We can't um, make a decision on behalf of the owner. That's their job. Uh, and so it's really difficult, though, in those situations to be able to direct because, one, we're not supposed to. We're not directors of the business. Um, but there's also a challenge when it comes to some of those blind spots to be able to um, prompt and to support and to keep coming back to things that an owner really doesn't want to talk about. Um, they can be some real challenges um, but at some point, we have to be able to say, well, um, we're yeah. all care, no responsibility. Unfortunately, if you choose to take that position, then that's yeah. your decision and that's what we could only advise. Um, and I think that's the big difference between an advisory board and, and a commercial board or a governance board where um, there's a risk, a major risk attached to the director's responsibilities for that board. Yeah, Absolutely. On board, they believe that board meetings should be informed, effective, and uncomplicated. Imagine a solution that streamlines your board pack preparation, enhances board governance and information security, and improves collaboration and productivity. A board management solution that's easy to use from any device. On board provides just that solution and is the most easy-to-use board management platform available today. Respond quickly to changes and simplify difficult tasks that traditionally eat up board member time and resources. Track and execute action items with our task manager, build board packs faster than ever, send and receive targeted alerts and messages to keep everyone informed. Ready to explore how Onboard can help your board thrive? Visit bit.ly forward slash onboardau. That's bit.ly forward slash O-N-B-O-A-R-D-A-U. And so how do you, um, it always is curious to me that those organisations, the people that own and run those organisations, intentionally put themselves, get themselves a board, an advisory board for advice and insight and unearthing those blind spots and everything that you've talked about, yet don't take the recommendations on board. How do you, how do you deal with that and still stay there and stay engaged? Yeah, I think it's rare. So out of okay. all of the, so I've been involved in a number, you know, about um, seven boards that have been owner-operator boards. Um, in most cases, I'm chairing them. Um, the conversations that you're having in the boardroom are very different from the one-to-ones that you're having with the owner. So um, in person, when it's just one-on-one, you can unpack some of those things and sort of dig a bit deeper. And ultimately, if the if they choose to um, 
continue with their investments, if they choose to continue with their um, expense management the way they do, um, then that's their choice. Um, If they choose to take on a really risky investment or a growth strategy, um, then that's just who they are. Um, it, and it's I don't take that personally that it, or the board yeah. doesn't take it personally. All we can say is here's best practice. Here's some suggestions. Um, if you want to do that, then we'll support you. Um, and it's actually our job is to, to help manage those risks and mitigate that as best as we can. Mm. Um, but there's that doesn't happen very often. In most cases, um, the boards are there and are able to contribute um, mostly by asking hard questions and by... Mm. Um, unpacking things that maybe the owner just is too close to. That's where the real value is. Yeah, absolutely. What about some negative aspects of board service? Do, do any spring to mind when I say that? And Usually these are things that no one talks about. Board service, I mean, on the one hand, gets heavily scrutinised in the media, fair enough. But on the other, it seems to be this kind of really um, peak of someone's career that a lot of people strive towards, but what are some of those negative aspects that people probably don't see on the surface? Well, I do think there's work involved. You know, that's yeah. the, people don't really talk about the fact that it is a job, yes. you know. Yes. Um, it's not all fun. And just because you're sitting there having these really cool conversations about strategic growth and long-term investment and some of this stuff and even innovation and things that businesses can do to be really exciting, um, that's a really small part of what actually happens in board meetings. A large portion of it is reviewing the financials, you know, assessing challenges with a business, dealing with complexity, managing mm-hmm. major issues, um, and those things are the tough stuff. That's yeah. actually, actually where why the, the owner and the company needs the board is to help support them through difficult issues. Um, and so... Whilst you get a lot of satisfaction from supporting people, you know, I do my job because I want to help people and their businesses be the best they possibly can. And so I get a lot of um, satisfaction in terms of helping people do that. Um, But there's work and you have to read lots of documents and pour through financial things. And, you know, like, as I said, I'm not a finance person, but I still need to understand as best as I can the financials and be able to draw conclusions and try and analyse them. Um, myself so that I can contribute at the right level in the meeting. Um, Yes, there might be specialists in the room, but everybody has to be across all that information. You can't just release that responsibility because there's the finance specialist. Um, So all of that is hard work. Um, It also takes a fair amount of work to nurture the relationships. So it's not just um, you with the owner from an advisory board perspective, it's you with each of the board people. Um, Yeah. You have to make sure that everyone's interested, that they're connected, that they're engaged, that they're prepared, that they're organised and doing what they need to contribute to being their best selves to the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's everyone's responsibility, not just the chair's role. Uh, so I think there's there's a lot of background work and I think it has unnecessary glamour. Yes, <laughs> sometimes, often, yes, I, I would agree 100%. Um, how about you personally? What has been your biggest boardroom challenge and how did you overcome it? Uh, So in one of the boards that I was involved with, um, there were a few uh, fairly influential and well-known other board members. So this is an advisory board, but they had, uh, they're quite well-known professionals and um, they had deep board experience. 
Um, I was chairing the board um, just because of my relationship with the founder. And mm-hmm. one of one of those board members decided that I think he'd probably make a better chair than I would. Um, and so I had to manage that dynamic, which was really interesting, um, and connect with the owner and have conversations about that and really make a decision for myself whether I was going to let that happen. Yeah. Um, and um, he was uh, is an older man um, with great expertise, um, and I felt still that I was the right person to do the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to have hard conversations, which included yeah. saying, well, am I right? You know, do you really yeah. want me to do this job with the owner or would you prefer that he did? Because, you know, this is your yeah. choice. Um, and so I think that's probably the most challenging thing of any board role is that if you're not prepared to have really tough conversations, putting yourself out there as well as on behalf of the organisation, um, then you really shouldn't do it. So for anyone who doesn't feel like they're a good communicator or has the ability to really ask, you know, challenging questions of themselves and others, I really think it's not a great job. Mm. You've probably most likely seen a lot of board members in action. What do you think happens that holds people back from asking those hard questions, having those difficult, challenging conversations? I think it's a personal risk. Um, I think it's actually, it's not necessarily about knowing what question to ask. It's more about feeling that they have the confidence to ask it. Um, uh, There's a lot of people have a fear of confrontation. Um, Mm. You know, we've grown up in families that have conflict aversion where it's just, you know, don't talk about the war, better not say those things. Um, and so it's really difficult to take that, uh, overcome that in your professional life if it's not something that you worked hard at. And so having that um, emotional intelligence and being able to understand the impact it has on you as a person, but then also being able to know that you can work through it with anybody else. Um, I think you've got to have that confidence and have been able to work through a series of those sorts of discussions before. So inevitably, board members are ex-CEOs. They've had to have hard conversations yeah. their whole life. They're very brave. They can handle it. They can go into a conflict zone and know that they can work someone through those situations. And I think that's probably where um, at a certain level in your career, what I've seen with senior executives particularly is that the ones that are prepared to be courageous and talk about the hard stuff are the ones that continue to grow in their business and their, and, yeah. and take on other opportunities. People who, who don't take that risk are less likely to end up in a role where they've got more responsibility because they're just not yep. asserting themselves properly. Yeah. I have a theory that um, being good or being comfortable with having challenging conversations, fierce conversations, which is probably a term that you're familiar with, with Susan Scott, um, it starts at home. And if you can't have a fierce conversation, to use that terminology, with someone close to you in your family, then it's going to nearly be virtually impossible with someone else. What are your thoughts on that? Look, um, the quality of our conversations is the quality of the relationship. That's a Susan Scott quote. Um, Mm -hmm. And as far as I'm aware, it doesn't matter where you practice um, but obviously practising in a safe space is the easiest when you're trialling a new, um, something that's uncomfortable for you. 
Um, so obviously trying it with your family is a really great place to start because you'll have a better quality relationship with the people that matter most to you. That's got to be a good thing. Um, but I, I do think that that's where you learn the most about yourself is in your ability to be able to have those challenging conversations, how you react, as yeah. well as being able to see that it's okay and that, you know, disaster does not strike just because you've talked about really hard stuff. Yeah. And you've mentioned not taking things personally, say when a business owner that you're on their advisory board decides to do something against what you've recommended and what the other advisory board members have recommended. How do you disconnect emotionally from that? Because I would imagine as an advisory board member, you're very emotionally invested in the organisation to an extent. So how do you manage that kind of um, disparity between those two things? Well, I think in business you can't take anything personally. They're they're making decisions within all of the different elements of their world uh, based on their family history and how they've seen other people make decisions. Um, And ultimately, um, you can. I don't. I don't take it personally. It's it's not my job. My job is to be there and to be impartial. And I've and often I'll ask questions that I'll think about afterwards. Going, gosh, that was fairly confronting. in a relationship sense, I probably wouldn't do that for anyone else, but I see that as my role. My role is to take people to uncomfortable places if I think that the business needs to know it. You know, inevitably the board has to operate as a shepherd of the company. We're Mm. there to represent the people. The whole point of having a board is to actually acknowledge the entity needs its own, um, you know, governance. It needs its own, uh, it needs to stand by itself. And so if the owner is seeing things from their selfish perspective or just with their own lens on, I mean, that's the the value of the board is to say, actually, there's a broader impact here. And it's not about me as a board member. I'm just there operating as as a a voice for the company. Mm, mm, That's a really great way to see it. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Casting our mind to the future now, And you've kind of talked about different skill sets emerging, being represented in the boardroom. What does the future of of the boardroom look like from where you're sitting? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I do think that it's interesting that there is certainly more advisory boards coming into the formal board arena from what I understand. It's certainly not something that I know a lot about, but um, I do think that there's a significant opportunity for for organisations to have Um, functional boards. So you might have a committee that's a strategy committee or something, um, but there's a very big difference to having um, a a team of advisors formed for a specific project or purpose. Um, And whether that's an innovation um, program or or whether it's something that sits outside of the governance of an organisation, I do think there's some value in building um, very specific skill sets for a very specific purpose. Um, So I think that Ideally, that we end up with more businesses um, having the opportunity to have advisors outside of their normal set of advisors. So outside of their law and accountant, everyone's got those anyway. They need them for operating Mm -hmm. their business. But if you look at the the value that you can receive from having interested but impartial and highly skilled experts who are giving you insight into your company on a regular basis, um, that's a really big benefit in terms of potential growth longer term, but also to deal with the other things that we're talking about. So if you're talking about cybersecurity issues or sustainability becoming part of their um, balanced scorecard approach to running their company. Hopefully we'll see more of that as um, particularly now that we've got um, the global summit, uh, climate summit happening at the moment. So it would be really great to be able to hear that businesses are taking 
more of those skill sets into their company and leaning on advisors to provide them with that knowledge um, because ultimately corporations have to help respond to those sorts of issues as well as deal with all of the other things that businesses have to manage day to day. Mm. And something that's timely I feel like I need to ask you about is do you think there'll be more boards, advisory or governance-wise, probably more advisory just because of the nature of them, um, being or, or seeing beyond their location and sourcing potential members, advisory board members, board members from beyond their their place of operation because we've been thrust into having video conferences like Zoom and Teams and things like that. People are more comfortable with it. Do you feel that that is broadening people's view on the talent pool that they can tap into when looking for board members? One would hope so, Lisa, but I really don't think that that's likely to happen, unfortunately, Um, because, yes, of course, um, a number of companies that I have worked with that have been looking to build an advisory board, they recognise the global nature of their work. So inevitably, if we're building global organisations in Australia, then you've got to accept that you can't just have our insular view on it. You have to have board members that represent the the territory and the customers that you're looking to achieve. So... um, I know those companies are looking for international board members and, of course, that means that they're using virtual tools to connect their boards. Yeah. Um, I think less so, though, when you're dealing with organisations that are based locally. Right. They're still looking to their network of people that they know and trust because it ultimately it does come down to trust. And I yeah. think we were talking earlier before we got on the call about how people find a board role. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I still believe that it doesn't matter um, how much advertising happens and yes, there is always going to be a skill shortage and ideally that you're going through a rigorous process to find the skills you need on the board to match your strategic plan. Um, however, inevitably it comes down to transfer of trust. So if I know you and trust you and know you do good work and you're known for being an expert in a particular area, um, then you're much more likely to be referred to me to say, hey, this person would do a great job on this board. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that's just the way that it works um, because Everyone wants to make sure that they've got the best experts around the table and, unfortunately, that's going to come through somebody knowing someone. Yeah. I see it as fortunately. As as long as the process is rigorous, if there's someone that you already know and trust or come already verified, if you want to use that term, I think if you can blend those two approaches, approaches together, then that's really positive outcome. But one final question from you, Amanda. What advice would you give to an aspiring board member? In terms of finding a board to start with? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, I think you have to be, um, you have to have a network. And when I say a network, not go to networking events, you actually have to build reciprocal relationships with key people in your network that know and trust your capability as a business person. Mm -hmm. So that means that you're going to have to put yourself out there to give before you get. Um, You're going to have to um, volunteer, um, get involved with things that you're passionate about, um, build connections with people. So um, when I look back to my first key relationship, because inevitably there's sort of one person. Yeah. Um, that came through an introduction for somebody else for a strategy facilitation role. But I made a big effort to connect with one of the people because he was on the board. 
who was um, an external CFO. And he was sitting on boards for a number of other organisations. And I made, uh, and he's a nice guy, I made a very big effort to build a connection with him. Mm-hmm. Just one person. Yep. It only took one person. And then that person referred me to someone else. And then that person unlocked a network that referred me to my next four boards. Wow. So I think um, we think that we have to meet everybody. And I would suggest that you just need to find a critical two or three people that you build long-term relationships with, that you help that mm-hmm. you provide support and you give them an experience of your skill. I don't know, you know, in your world, it'll have to be however you want to do that, but you have to give them a taste of what you're capable of, either by inviting them to things, in giving them work, giving them support. Um, and that's actually a reciprocal relationship then. That's how you build trust with someone. It's not just, hi, I've just met you at a coffee event or a networking thing. Hey, do you know any boards I can sit on? I cannot tell you how many people. <laughs> do not say that. <laughs> It's not going to work. I mean, it, the interesting thing is that um, a lot of people would do the AICD course, the Australian Institute of Company Directors course, which I've done. Um, and that's a really good network. Obviously, through that course, if you do the immersion one where you're five days, you know, entrenched with mm-hmm. a group of people, there's some fabulous people that you'll meet through that. Um, and the best thing is find board roles for them. Um, yes. if I've referred people to boards for lots of things because I stay in the board loop and see advertisements and I send them board roles. Have you thought of this one for you? No one's done it back to me yet, but one day. One day. Um, But, you know, we have to, I think that we're always expecting if we're good enough, people will notice. And actually it's not enough to just be good. Everyone is good. Good is not the benchmark we're looking for. What we're looking for is a level of service. You have to be of service to others first before you get acknowledged. I think that's really the most critical thing. Yeah. Awesome. What a perfect note to end on. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing uh, some insights into your board career, what your observations are, reflections are from the boardroom. Uh, I'm sure the listeners have gotten a lot of takeaways from today's conversation. So thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Amanda Cole and got a whole bunch of great ideas that you can apply to your board career, whichever stage you're at. If you're looking for more information on Amanda's board history or would like to connect with Amanda, please check out the show notes for this episode available at getonboardaustralia.com.au forward slash podcast. If you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe, rate and review the Board Shorts podcast on your favourite podcast app. And please feel free to share that you're listening and what your takeaways are from this episode on social media using the hashtag Board Shorts podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to talking with you in the next episode. The Board Shorts podcast is powered by Get On Board Australia the destination for aspiring and new board members, helping you to get on board and thrive in the boardroom.